0: You
1: are listening to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast, episode number nine. And this time we are talking about investing in financial independence. Hey, friend. I'm Sarah, and welcome to the Nerds Guide to Financial Independence podcast. I am here to show you that financial independence can be for anyone who wants it badly enough and that investing in real estate doesn't have to be scary, take a vast DIY knowledge, or involve heaps of debt. When I am not sharing my own progress to FI, I'll be picking the brains of fellow like-minded debt-conscientious investors. I am so glad that you are here, my fellow aspiring retirees. Good morning, everybody. I am here with Shung from Save My Sense. So you guys may or may not know her from Instagram, but she is one of my very favorite people. And I'm very excited to get a chance to talk to her today because I was messaging her and saying, I really want to start talking about investing more on the podcast because a lot of people follow me for real estate, but I kind of grew up on like debt-free community stuff And investing is, you know, one of my passions. And so I'm really, really excited to kind of bring you guys her perspective because I think she does an amazing job. So Thanks for joining me this morning.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And oh my gosh, Sarah's been one of my longest friends on Instagram through Thick and Thin. So I'm so glad to be here.
1: And I think if it wasn't for COVID, we probably would have met by now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to appropriately
1: socially distance. (laughs) Yes. Um, someday we totally plan to do that, which will be really fun, um, but I'm hi- very excited to bring you her information, and so I thought I would start with her story because it's pretty amazing on how you guys, you really were trying to get to work optional in the beginning of your journey, and um, you also have like a very interesting career path, and so kind of tell us your
0: beginnings and what led you to Instagram, perhaps. Sure. Um, I was lucky to graduate from college debt free. My parents paid for that. And I also went to business school on a scholarship plus some extra funds from my parents. So I have no school debt. That meant that I was able to focus on being uh, frugal and living on less than I earned from the start. And I was, you know, pretty good, but not terribly amazing. I met my husband in business school. And when we were starting to talk about marriage and engagement, he brought up the idea of, hey, what if we learned to live off of the lower of our true incomes for the rest of our lives? I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> and he's like, well, think about it this way. One of the hardest parts about uh, working is childcare. And we, we knew back then that we wanted children. And mm-hmm. he said, imagine never having to be a slave to a job uh, just to get the childcare paid for, it, which also costs a ton of money. Imagine not being freaked out if one of us loses a job. Uh, imagine having a big cushion if both of us lose a job. So that was a very interesting concept, and I agree to it. Um, it took a lot of work. I, I brushed over this like it, it's super fast, but from the ages then onwards, I met my husband when I was like 26. We got married at 20, when I was 28 in those years, I I was the one that had really had to pull back my spending to get to that savings rate of about 50%. Um, and we saved and invested. And basically what that meant was, by the time that I reached age 31, uh, we were able to lean fire, which is Um, retire anywhere outside of the big cities of the United States um, and live off of our investments. And then around like age 33, um, I would say normal fire. And now I'm age 35, but I'm still working because we took on a new goal of providing for my in-laws retirement. So that's the newest thing that's been going on.
1: Yes. And you also had a baby in there and you Mm -hmm. very openly shared your journey because you did IVF for your baby
0: in several rounds. How many rounds did you end
1: up doing for that? Three,
0: three rounds. Two of them included a stimulation, which is where you grow the eggs and one of them was a Mm -hmm. frozen round. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people knew you in the beginning of watching that. And so it's kind of amazing. Now you have a little one running around or you have, we get some pictures of him on occasion. <laughs> so, yes. but that's a whole new kind of wrench or I guess perk, I guess in a different way of the financial independence journey is when you add children to the mix. I know I'm going through that right now. Our kids are mm-hmm. probably pretty similar in age. So around a year yeah. is a little bit younger. Um, but kind of it changes your whole dynamic and how you think and kind of what you want and I think I've gotten a little more spendy so I don't know how that's impacted you're going through the child care search too which is uh
0: yeah I mean any (laughs) amount that I spend on a child is going to be dwarfed by the amount that I will be spending on (laughs) child care I have no I mean COVID has wrecked all of our plans but COVID I think especially is extremely difficult for parents of very young children where y- you have to look for your own childcare. it's not given to you in the form of a school or even a school with virtual learning which i know again is not ideal but i was on the wait, wait list for a bunch of daycares. Uh, but i'm not even in new york i'm sheltering in place with my parents in the midwest i don't know when i'm gonna go back to new york then i kind of need a nanny but i have never done a search for nanny i know nobody where i am here Nanny's going to cost a lot more than daycare. And in New York, the daycares I'm looking at are at least $3,000 a month. So um, it's been stressful to say the least. I think that's an understatement. Yeah. Um, and it, it's top of my mind 24-7. <laughs>
1: Being in the Midwest though, your childcare costs are probably cheaper, but it also depends too. Like some cities are still pretty high demand um, for childcare and COVID's really changed everything. I'm guessing with, yeah. like, the number of kids they can accept too. Yeah. So it's probably a little more challenging to find it so and I'm not
0: here forever so some people are like well she's not going to give me a one-year contract why should I go with her so it's been difficult
1: yeah yeah and I think you guys are still trying to figure out exactly how long your stay will be which probably makes it harder because like do we sign a one-year contract I don't think we want to do that
0: (laughs) no it my mental health would go down the drain if I am so far away from home forever right yes but you, your, you and your cats have made it to the Midwest
1: for now. And then yes. you're also long distance managing your home renovation too. So oh, that's a whole, thank goodness you're not living in the renovations. I guess if there's a perk of being here yeah. in the Midwest, like I am, um, you don't have to live through it. And so, which is a whole new scale. So if you guys don't know, Shung is in New York city. Um, and so you're in a whole new ball game of real estate than I even can imagine so you're in a very high cost of living area and there's so many rules and regulations you know i I pulled permits and it was like $90 and I can't even imagine the process you're walking through with paperwork.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so people know uh, Mm -hmm. at the time of recording, which is end of July, I've done two months of paper pushing and I am not done yet. I have not touched, there is not a single speck of dust in my home right now from any demolition whatsoever. So we have no idea when this remodel is going to happen. It's just, combining two spaces together into a third bedroom but the the uh, regulations the requirements for my building everything adds at minimum ten thousand dollars in fees alone to file and whatever and then i because of the rules i have to use licensed everybody and most people in new york are licensed and unionized mm-hmm. so everything goes up my <laughs> conservative estimate is that this quote, unquote, little renovation is going to cost me forty to $50,000 all in at the end. Yeah.
1: Are you adding a wall, two walls? Kind of what is the
0: scope of your I'm are taking you... down uh, a couple of walls, uh, some of them temporary, some of them a little bit more sturdy, mm-hmm. and then uh, putting up two closets. Okay. That's it. But so making it... <laughs> your
1: two-bedroom a three? Is that Making a two-bedroom a...
0: into a three-bedroom.
1: Yeah. Are you doing anything else to the rest of the house? No. Yeah,
0: Not really. I mean, I'm adding some LED lights into my living room, but like, yeah. it, it sounds really, really simple. But everyone who lives in New York and has lived through a renovation will tell you that there is no such thing as a simple renovation no. in New York. And I
1: think that's what I'm learning because you have like H. There's so many different layers of approvals you have to get. I think you did a post where you talked about like you have like you have like the yeah. city and then the H. So talk, walk, Who are all the people that you have to get to sign off on?
0: Uh, The the primary ones are my building and the New York City Department of Buildings. But to get through that, you have to have a licensed architect to prepare the plans. You have to have the buildings engineer review the plans and they're gonna charge you money. The building itself has to facilitate the applications. They're gonna charge me money. The department building just charged me $525 to submit my plans for the first time, but they may charge me more money if they don't like the plans. (sighs) And there's gonna be an inspection from the Department of Buildings. I had an asbestos inspection already as well. And we have, again, not done a single thing to the house.
1: Yeah. Nothing has been moved, which just boggles my mind. So for a lot of people who are real estate folks that are following this, since I dabble in both, we're be very grateful for your location. New York city has so many hurdles. And so if you're very interested in knowing what it's like to do a renovation, a seemingly small renovation in New York city, follow her journey because it's blowing my, like every day I'm like, this is a good check for me to be grateful. Is your goal to live in that once it's renovated? Or are you thinking about selling it? Do you guys, have you decided on your plans for the property?
0: No plans. Okay. I, any plans I release now will probably be changed in the next week. Right. So I'm like, I, I can't make plans like COVID. I think
1: everyone feels that way with COVID, at least to some degree. You're like, I don't know. There's just so much uncertainty and add a baby in the mix and you just feel, <laughs> so I guess yeah. stay tuned to see where, you know, next yeah. steps go. Yep. Um, and then, so the other thing I wanted to talk about for people that don't know you is you give amazing career advice. Wow. And so I love, love, love this part because I've watched all of your, you do a lot of like talks on negotiation too. Mm-hmm.
0: There, there's probably a couple things that I enc- uh, encourage everyone to do. Number one, always be negotiating. I don't mm-hmm. care what you do. Everybody should be negotiating Two. <laughs> always be interviewing so that you know what the mark the job market is ready to pay for someone with your resume and your skills and then i think number three is um forget about passion and i think this is the one that surprises everybody so they're like sean you sound really passionate about what you do i said yes but i didn't start out that way Mm -hmm. Uh, forget about passion focus on something that you excel at and that becomes your passion over time and I, ideally you should focus on something that you sell at and also pays it, it just hurts me to see so many people chase passion at the very beginning and then find out after two three years oh gosh this is not paying me the uh, income I need to survive and that that's a very painful process to go through
1: this is such a fun point because I get this all the time where people are like oh you're chasing like the money for your jobs or like the raises and that kind of thing and I'm like no it's It's ridiculous if you don't consider the money because the end of the day, after you're in the career, like the workforce for a while, you'll realize that jobs find you somewhat expendable. And Mm -hmm. if things get tough, like they will cut you and you'll move on. Or, you know, someone else get a promotion because of absurd things. Like, you know, just, you're like shaking your head, wondering like how that happened to like, I have a really good friend who's a doctor and I could not understand how she didn't get this one promotion. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. good people get passed up all the time. And it's just, Fascinating to watch, and I think people get so focused on like finding your passion, but really, the part of life you enjoy is the work, like when you're home, like your home life, your time with family, and the yeah. lifestyle you want to lead. And so, if you don't want to be on call twenty four seven, or if you, you know, want to have that balance in your life, finding the money to support the life you want is so much more important than like choosing your passion. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, I chase my passion, and I'm making twenty thousand dollars, and now I'm miserable because I can't take mm-hmm. my kids on vacation. And that's just not something. So I feel like as a society, we almost look at it backwards Mm -hmm. and I don't. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me a little crazy um, because I'm like, I, there's so many, like, what makes you happy? And you know what, like all the aesthetics about the job that people forget about the life you want to build. Yeah. Um, Because like, I knew when I was looking for careers, I wanted something that paid well because I like to travel. I like to buy clothes still. I'm like the least frugal person, I think probably around the debt-free community. <laughs> so still, like I just hired out lawn care and it's like been the best decision I've ever made and it's expensive, but I'm like, I don't have to mow my lawn every day and that's hours I get back to hang out with my daughter. Yeah. And so I'm really bad at penny pinching. And I think that's something that you talk a lot about a little bit too, is you guys were really, really frugal for a while and you still are. You're significantly more frugal than I am. Um, <laughs> but it's been really fun. So I thought I'd pick your brain. So I um, was kind of interested. So I've been looking at different jobs. I absolutely love my job, but the challenge is I'm now like single parenting a, my daughter, and it's hard to not have that support. And traditionally my job was 40% travel, Mm. um, which is what a lot of people like that is in my job contract is 40% travel, Mm. which was fun and games when you have a spouse and you have, you know, a little bit of a support network and things, which I totally still have, but it's just a different game a little bit now. And so I've just been looking around my options. And so Mm -hmm. then COVID happens and I'm like, well, at this point my job is zero travel and Mm. my job is traveling to hospitals. And so will I ever ramp back up to 40%? I don't know because hospitals aren't excited to like, hey stranger, you've been who knows where coming into our hospital with the six people and talk to us about testing options and, you know, what diagnostics we should order. And it's just not something that people are going to be really excited to do for a while. And so I'm just trying to decide at this point in my life, I really want to find a job I'm passionate about. And Mm -hmm. so, which I am, but again, that travel is in the back of my mind being like 40%, man, that's rough. Because now I've experienced life with a daughter and zero travel and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out that. So anyway, I'm like interviewing for fun pretty much is where Mm -hmm. I am. So I'm fitting one of your boxes. So I have another friend who's like very adamant about always interviewing, which is terrifying, but I'm in this whole like networking and growth phase of my life. And so I got a job offer and I haven't told them yes or no yet, but I think I'm going to say no, just because I love my job and I can't pass up the fact that I'm not really going anywhere with COVID. And I really am obsessed with every one of my coworkers Um, but it's very interesting because I thought about just negotiating to practice (laughs) because there's a gap between what my current salary is and where this new salary is of about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think we're, you know, about $20,000 apart and like, that's a really big gap because my current job, I get really ridiculous bonuses. And so, you know, most of the time we're doing pretty well and profitable as a company. So I'm getting my full bonus and it's a $20,000 ish bonus. And so that's a big difference. But again, bonuses are never guaranteed. And I didn't know, can you negotiate on a bonus, even though it's not, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what all is negotiable in yeah. the world of jobs. Yeah. And so Every, I figured i pick your brain. Everything
0: is negotiable. That, that's, yeah. um, uh, I, I, the moment that we put restrictions on negotiations, we put ourselves into a box. And yeah. I really strongly believe, having also been on the other side of the table and seeing how different people advocate for their careers women we just don't negotiate enough so you have to negotiate what we in the business world call the total package it Mm -hmm. does not mean just your salary it's your salary your bonuses and your bonus structure like what does it look like what are the ranges what are the metrics you need to hit to get those bonuses is it you know commission based is it company performance based is it a mix of both company and individual performance Mm -hmm. um Healthcare benefits, usually companies buy into a healthcare plan, so it's not that they can really uh, change it but it's really important for you to look at you know your top three healthcare expenses check to see if it's covered under your newest health care and if it's not gosh negotiate the money that you'll be losing from your current coverage into a new one for me huge one is IVF if I were to change a job today and my new job does not pay for IVF I'd need like a payment of gosh $60,000 right. just to attempt IVF again like that's yeah. how big it is for me vacation days how many vacation days did you invest into more vacation days at your last job are you gonna lose five days going to new one um a little perks for example from going from an old job to a new job i lost you know free lunch so mm-hmm. is the new job gonna pay for this free lunch i guess yeah. not right okay that's yeah. like a cash payment Um, bonus buyout. In my industry, it's very common for people to work up until December 31st, qualify for a bonus. They get paid out that bonus in the spring as long as you worked until December 31st. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes people in our industry will switch before December 31st, but they're Mm -hmm. so close to getting that bonus. Um, And in my industry, the bonus, we're talking five, six-figure bonuses. So you would negotiate with your next employer. You got to buy me out of my current bonus because I'm not getting paid that bonus when I go to you. Um, so that's, everything's negotiable. Right.
1: And I didn't know too, because it seems like retirement matches are pretty set. Have you ever had anyone negotiate, like try to negotiate match on like Um, retirement? I don't even know if, if that's possible.
0: If it's, if it's a private employer, um, you can think about it. Um, The thing with retirement matches is that because of the way a 401k is set up, the employers um, have to be pretty consistent at applying the match across their entire workforce, Mm -hmm. with the exception of their highest paid employees, usually in the executive circles. Those have different uh, structures. So the retirement match is going to be a little bit more difficult to negotiate. Usually, bonuses draw from a very different pool. So I always say it's usually the bonus where they're the most flexible in terms of negotiation. interesting
1: I didn't know that words of wisdom so always negotiate ladies gentlemen everyone is kind of everyone. the words of wisdom and you can always ask because I'm always like the offer is kind of in your court and so I think asking is really important so I think that's kind of the big thing is yeah the bonus part was the big concern to me but I'm like it's hard to know you know is that a department standard but I guess you don't know until you ask also yeah, you don't know So that's something I'm perusing and I'm like, I don't know if you negotiate just for fun. I just got a vibe that it just wasn't the job and I don't know why. Like there was nothing specifically like terrible that happened. It was just like, I love my current job and love my coworkers. And so Mm -hmm. I just can't, can't do it right now with COVID. I'm like, I think, and then there's like the cost benefit analysis, like going like, okay, would I rather pay? extra childcare to find someone to cover the days I do start traveling, like cover evenings and do would that money be rather spent so I can keep this job. And right now it's yes, because Mm. I'm like, right now, I think I'd rather hire someone to take like a couple evenings um, Mm. or even like find family members or something that could cover, you know, those few times a month when I do start traveling again. But It's a whole new game with kids, but I'm like, the cost of, you know, staying, I'd rather stay in this job and pay someone and then take this job. And I think that was kind of like my gut check moment of needing to pass. But poor people, I've kept them like hanging in since Thursday because I just couldn't, it seemed dumb to pass up a good opportunity. It's like my highest job offer I've ever gotten, which is exciting. (laughs) But again, like I've gotten some raises at my current job. So a little bit lower than where I was at. But again, like, you write down your whole package, you write down like how much health insurance costs and dental and vision and life. And then comparing the two packages, I have a lot of perks at my current job that are just hard to find Mm. elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and since I travel, I also get a car right now, which is really nice because of COVID. I'm not traveling for work anywhere, but I still get the use of my vehicle. And so that's a really hard perk to pass up, but I know if traveling depre- like decreases, that car isn't going to stay around. So yeah. they're not going to pay for my car to not go anywhere. So now onto our favorite topic, which is investing. And so I think we bonded very early, I think over our hate of financial advisors. <laughs> that's probably a great way. Not really a hate. I, I have a really yeah, good friend. Yeah. I have a friend that's a financial advisor and yeah. Um, we have, there's wonderful people. And I think there is a niche of people that don't have time or don't want to take the time to learn that they could really benefit from a financial advisor. But Mm -hmm. I do think maybe like a year tops of like self-education on investing, you can really kind of learn the basics, um, and then get a really good CPA, um, to kind of cover yourself. And so tell me about like your thoughts on financial advisors, because I know, you know, There's a mixed bag on who (laughs) should have one and who shouldn't and kind of what our thoughts are on that. If you
0: you read the most well-regarded books on investing, and I mean investing in stocks, because that's mostly what my expertise is on, The Simple Path to Wealth, as well as The Vogelhead's Guide to Investing, both books will say the financial advisors um, don't They they don't beat the market performance. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't ultimately help you get more money. But the only thing that they can do is to check your emotions, which is an important aspect because if you're a beginner investor, your emotions are more likely to drive losses, drive you to make decisions that are not optimal than other people who've invested for many years and can do buy and hold with a lot more guts than you do. So that's really where a financial advisor, I think, is great in the beginning, is to stop you from doing really, really stupid things. And however, yeah,
1: and probably today people have a better feeling on how they feel with COVID and like watching the market drop a little bit. Like, what's your gut check on what is going on? When
0: you saw that drop back in March, what were you doing? Right. That that's a really good one. Mm -hmm. So that that's number one. But over time, um, and this has been proven with millions and millions of uh, accounts, is that financial advisors don't result in better stock performance uh, than you doing it yourself um, you can basically quote unquote be average by matching the average stock market performance by buying index funds. And you know what, that average is pretty darn good. Um, if you include uh, in dividend returns and reinvesting dividends, the average stock market performance has been on an annualized basis, 10 to 12% a year. That's never the actual return, but that's again, a mathematical calculation. Um, so that that's what people, most people say, you can just do it yourself. And that's I think a pretty good piece of advice Warren Buffett says it. However, that being said, both Sarah and I would say you should get a really great CPA because <laughs> yes. your tax situation is going to change your filing situation. You're, you might not always file as head of household or not always file a single. You may have children. You might move. You might go into a different state. And I right now have a tax book that's about this big written by a tax lawyer that I am reading through to make sure that I got all my tax benefits, Mm -hmm. because if you are not tax efficient, look at the highest um, bracket tax bracket in this country at the federal level that Mm -hmm. can, that's pretty high. And if I add up the highest tax bracket, plus like the highest state tax, I could be losing 40% of my net worth over time. It's a lot, whereas um, you know, if you invest in uh, stocks and they have capital gains of 20%, that's why people who own stocks have an efficient tax setup. And then if you invest in real estate with all the deductions that Sarah (sighs) enjoys from her real estate, she can realize some pretty, pretty, like very low tax income. And that's why CPAs are worth their weight in gold.
1: Yeah, and I will never not have a CPA now that we're doing real estate. This is my first year of having like real we pumped real amounts of money into real estate in the last year and seeing our tax return situation and our final taxes, it's amazing how much it reduces our taxable income. Because on paper, we have a loss on the business side, given the sheer amount of money that we pumped into our business and spent on repair costs and like putting a new roof on, buying new appliances, kind of doing all the things that real estate landlords do. And It's amazing because being in a high income level ish, um, yeah, it's really nice to see your taxable income number a little bit lower. Makes me feel a little more warm and fuzzy inside because I'm like, man, I'm getting drilled in taxes. And just to see kind of all of our hard work and like blood, sweat, tears, like long hours painting, um, trying to hold a baby while I'm painting. And it kind of makes it all (laughs) worth it. So, yeah, but CPAs are great. Um, It also takes a long time to kind of interview CPAs that are right for you and finding someone that kind of matches your strategy and isn't... I'm trying to think of good questions I ask. I think I ask a lot of questions about
0: the real estate. um, You have to find a CPA who has clients that are similar as you in mm-hmm. terms of the kinds of businesses they run or the kind of jobs that they have and a kind of uh, portfolio that they have and also you you would want your CPA to be able to explain things in terms that you understand so I'm a visual and doing kind of learner like I kind of yeah. just like my CPA to send me the form that they're talking about and when I see the tax form I get it um, but I know somebody else, for example, probably needs boxes and charts, for example. Um, and so that's, um, and people are like, why are Sarah and Sean talking about so much about taxes? I don't really know. I'm like, if you look at your pay stub, if you look at your tax return, and you see how much money you pay to taxes in a year. And, and let's say you do pay a lot. I know some people in this country don't, you should get mad. You should get mad over how much taxes you're paying uh, without even thinking about it. Like It needs to be an intentional journey because it's your money it's it's a big part that you can control in addition to controlling your own spending
1: and i think people just take taxes for granted and don't think about reducing their taxable Mm -hmm. income and don't think about that you can do something about it potentially and your cpa can teach you those ways because i'm not reading the tax code and that book you talked about sounds terrible no offense i will
0: It's I'm like, not, no, it's thank you. Friendly book. It's not a friendly book. <laughs> it does not sound
1: friendly at all. But I'm so amazed. Like, good for you. Because we need people out there that are reading these books and understand because that taxes just change so often. Yeah. And I'm like, investing is pretty straightforward all of the time. And I mean, ish, like the basics of investing. It's like what your average person working like a W-2 job needs to know about investing and like, you know, setting up so they can retire comfortably. Mm-hmm. is pretty straightforward. And then taxes are the added layer that makes me tap out. So yeah. my goal every year, because I follow you now is to like, learn more about taxes. And I'm every year <laughs> I get a little bit more knowledge, but I'm very reluctant. So <clears throat> I always appreciate the push. We talked a lot when I was CPA shopping because, um, yeah, I tried like a family friend CPA and then another family friend CPA and like a Dave Ramsey recommended the, the, his ELPs. And then, Finally, I contacted like a local business owner and I said, who does your taxes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and that's
1: how I found my person. And the first time we met, he's like, oh, I used to do real estate, but I sold it all to do, to work on my tax brokerage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, or to work on your, you know, CPA firm. And that's his passion. I'm like, that's awesome. Like you've owned rentals, you've owned out-of-state rentals. Like, let's do this. So he yep. was wonderful. Love it. Um. So talking about kind of your basics of investing because we have a lot of people just starting out. So where, yeah. where do people usually begin? So I, I literally just do like my employer 401k. Like I'm pretty boring yeah. on the investing side because I'm not
0: trying to max it out. Um, uh, before, before you start, you got to have your fully funded emergency fund. And yes. while you're saving up that fully funded emergency fund, get reading. I'd rather you read before you start three books, Rug millennial takes on investing. Yes. The simple path to wealth, And I personally recommend Boglehead's Guide to Investing. The third book, people usually vary on which one they recommend. I recommend something super, super advanced. Other people were like, that book is really boring. Take this one, whatever. I don't care what books you read, but you gotta read at least three books and then keep reading more. I love the website Investopedia. I probably refer to it every day. It's the most well-written website when it comes to investing because it is written by investors. Um, And then if you really wanna get into what I call tax hacking, which is being very mindful of your taxes as you go on to uh, FIRE, financial uh, independence, retire early, follow the FIRE bloggers because they're figuring this out too because they wanna pay as little taxes as possible. And then just start. Um, My very first paycheck, I probably put in like $200 into my company's 401k. If your employer offers that, that's great. But a third of working people in the United States don't have access to that. If you don't have access to a employer-sponsor uh, employer retirement plan, open up a Roth IRA. Um, those two are super easy to do, and then as you read, you'll figure it out, but don't expect to have it perfect from the start.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important, and I think it's okay to just begin with, like you don't need like a brokerage account. You don't really have to start with an IRA. You can just start with your employer retirement fund, and that's okay. Just starting is very important. Exactly. Um, And then the other thing is just making sure like some retirement accounts will put you like default you into things that have really high fees. And so I think that's like your 2.0 version is looking at what your investments are put in. So you have like like the bucket, which is the 401k or the IRA or whatever. That's kind of like, but you have to put the bucket in stuff. Like it's not enough to be like, put money in there. It's like, what did you put your money
0: in? You, know, you put it in you, the bucket, but is it doing anything? <laughs>
1: so.
0: Yeah, so uh, the accounts, uh, like the 401k IRAs, they're accounts, they're shells that hold your money, but then what is your money invested in? What, uh, what flower seed are you buying and grow? What flowers do you wanna grow? Those are the investments. And um, for most of you, you'll, you'll see tons of things like uh, blended funds, mutual funds, um, target date funds, which usually have you know the four digit year in it, assuming that's the year retire. Um, you might see, for example, those uh, on government plans like the TSP, they have funds called like the G, plan, the G fund um, and the S fund. You got to read because uh, there's tons of articles out there that explain what these funds do. You can't just pick blindly. This is your future. This is your retirement. This is your make or break between retiring in the house you want and retiring in the house you don't want Mm -hmm. and so um i read up on what the heck these funds are and then if i like a certain class of funds let's say i'm looking at a bunch of index funds that all pretty much more or less invest in the american stock market the only metric that i use to pick funds all else being equal is the expense ratio the expense ratio is the percentage that they charge of the total amount that you invest in each year for the privilege of buying into this fund so if you put a hundred dollars into a fund and the expense ratio is one percent they take away a dollar each year from that fund so if that fund is at the very least Returning 1%, you break even, which is not even great because re- inflation is more than zero. So you're actually losing money. You got to break, e- uh, your, your true break even is the expense ratio plus the current rate of inflation. That's mm-hmm. why you want the uh, expense ratio to be as low as possible. And it's also a good predictor of fund performance because low expense ratios means that they're not turning over their investments all the time. That means that the investment, man- the portfolio manager of this fund is, is very stable tends to invest less with their emotions. Uh, Lower turnover, lower cost means better performance. This one is covered in the Boglehead's Guide to Investing, which is why I love that book so much because they really show the analytic data behind what I'm saying.
1: And people hate like fees in general. Like if you're like, oh, do you want like I'm going to charge you a fee or a billing fee, but people don't hate expense ratios as much as they should. I'm like, so if you hear expense ratio, think fee and bad and it's terrible. Like you should see red, you should get angry. And Mm -hmm. because for the basic investor- you know, when you look at your employer's 401k, you probably don't have that many index fund options. And then it really becomes a game of expense ratios, just avoiding yes. fees and these things that should make you very angry that are taking away your money and like removing a dollar for every hundred dollars you put in. It's, it's depressing and you're shaving years off your retirement. And that was really eye opening to me because you kind of like, you think you need to pick them on performance. Like you think you're going to go in there and be like, oh, what are their like rate of return for so many years? But really- yeah you know, index funds
0: are kind of getting the market because return no anyway. Because no <laughs> one can predict what a fund is going to uh, perform like other than the expense ratio. The past performance does not predict the future. That's like that's like a, a, a tenet that investors yeah. go by. So you don't go by the performance, you go by the expense, ratios, the expense ratio because that's been the only proven piece of data that actually shows how a fund performs.
1: Yes, so it keeps it very easy because it narrows you down to like, you know, three or four options. And then you can look at expense ratios and kind of decide from there. And then you mm-hmm. said you research funds. Where's your favorite places to go?
0: Google. So, yes. Um, <laughs> the most common, the most common firm that does provide analytic, um, information into funds beyond, uh, you know, gibberish that some they'd give you yeah. is Morningstar. Morningstar is a great place, but all funds have come with what, what is known as the prospectus. It's a, uh, it's something that they have to file with the Securities and Exha- Securities Exchange Commission (SEC), and it tells you who manages the fund, the fund rules, the fund fee structure, what the fund invests in. For me, what I typically look at is what the heck are most of the money invested in? Is it invested in, you know, the stock market, bonds? What kind of sectors and industries? It, it's good to at least know that. Because you, you have to have a balanced portfolio that makes sense for your strategy, for what you want to do. And um, if I'm invested fully invested in funds that only invest in horse-drawn carriages, I think I would be in a lot of trouble right now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's socially distanced. It might be a big thing. No. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I know in the early days before I like really understood expense ratios and I really got in this analysis paralysis phase on traditional versus Roth IRAs, Mm -hmm. and for some reason that held me up for a bit because I'm like, I don't know which one to pick.
0: Yep. Does it really
1: matter that much for like your average person? In your beginning,
0: no. But if you care about FIRE, then yes. So in the very beginning, I literally tell people, if this is the one thing that's stopping (laughs) you from investing, toss I don't know, toss a coin. Yeah. Um, and I have a blog post where I go through the top four websites to talk about this. I went to Vanguard and Fidelity and Investopedia, etc. And all of them say, it depends. Gosh, you know, um, yeah. because you're- No, your it's all terrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because but I'm like, I can someone say,
1: just tell me what I should do? And no blog out there is like, obviously yeah. you should choose traditional or obviously choose Roth. There's like a list of like 30 factors. And I'm like, yeah.
0: But the best it. way someone put it like this is A traditional is like a pension, where if you do manage to save on tax today, you have to be the one that's proactively taking the tax savings and investing that money somewhere else. Whereas a Roth IRA takes the guesswork out of taxes for you and you never have to worry about again. That's why there was one blog that trended a little bit towards Roth IRA for beginners, because they said we don't think that beginners are going to be disciplined enough to take the tax savings that you get from a traditional and go invest it somewhere else. I'm like, okay, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm I'm kind of cool with that recommendation. Um, but also, for a lot of people who follow me for fire fire blo- uh, fire people and fire aspirants tend to be slightly on above average income. Um, traditional uh, traditional. Um, IRAs and traditional retirement plans can really help reduce a very burdensome tax that you might face um, in the current tax year so if you're if you're very high income and you have very high savings rate I I tend to prefer more traditional but again all of these are subject to politics we can mm-hmm. change that politics can change your tax rate um, and also if you have the ability to max everything up my, my husband and I if both of us work and if we didn't have to pay for our kids' childcare, we're maxing out all of our four hundred one k's, which are mega backdoor Roth four hundred one k's. So there's like a ton of money that we can put into both. Uh, we're it's maxing a very out. advanced concept. In case you're yes. I'm
1: like I'm trying to think. Sorry, I'm, I'm, bad like, I'm t- rushing through everything. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're good. Take your time. You ba- backdoor,
0: backdoor Roths. We max out backdoor Roths. Then we max out uh, 529. If nines. You're interested in that?
1: Go read the Mad Scientist. He does some really uh, good it backdoor Roth. saves money.
0: Roth <laughs> yes, and five two nines. Um, I also blogged about a backdoor Roth because I put in like a cute little yes. chart that people liked a lot. Um, and it is very good. Uh, I, I have my businesses. Businesses are a tax shelter, and if you play it right, so mm-hmm. I put some money into businesses, and then there then there's the brokerage, which is you know all all fully taxed, but Capital gains are great. Uh, so when you were
1: getting started in all this, did you have a CPA that kind of like taught you this or have no. you read ever year? I way just through. read. Okay. Um, the amount That's of time amazing. that I
0: put into personal finance, I thought was a little bit ridiculous, but I have a grad for it. I put in an hour a day. Like I read, um, get rich slowly. That was the first blog that I read. And I still love, love, love JD Roth. And it's mm-hmm. it such a good website for beginners. Um, and I read books. I read Dave Ramsey when I was really young. I read Sue orman when I was mm-hmm. really young. those Suze. you know she, she's she 's like she 's a different flavor for different people, but I, like I really admire the early gurus because all of them have something important to say Ramit, um uh, he's still uh, I will teach you to be rich he 's got uh, a new edition of his book, also great um so i i don 't judge uh past gurus for what they say today because I'm like everybody had a book for their time Robin Kiyosaki uh, rich dad poor dad you gotta read and if you don't read critically you're losing out against someone who put in that time I put in seven hours a week if I'm working and at that time I was already working 60 70 hours a week I'm like if I'm working that hard to earn so much money I should at the very least match that intensity in figuring out how to save invest and grow my money. So I don't have to work that hard in the future. Right. I, I'm a mom now There, I cannot. Yeah. You don't have time. Hours.
1: You okay. need like more hours in your day to just like I'll enjoy die. baby. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is something that a lot of people don't think about is you didn't pay for a fancy course or you didn't do anything like to like, you didn't find like this amazing guru to follow. You just read kind of broadly what content is out there. And yeah. so there's this amazing, like we're in such a data phase of, you know, time period in life where you can learn pretty much everything you need to know online. And so I think people really miss out on just
0: reading. Um, You have a supercomputer in your hand. Yes. I didn't have that growing up. You got to read. Reading is where most knowledge is found. Right.
1: And so I think that's something that, you know, you kind of binge it in the beginning and it's very hard with a baby. I'm finding it very, very hard to right, read right. because I have like this growing tower of books. That's like the someday pile. And I think <laughs> I need to like make like a smaller pile. So I stop feeling so guilty about the sheer size of my book collection yeah. that is unread, but you can literally learn so much. And if you, you know, don't have the time to read on text strategies and things, then you can have CPAs that will help you through that. But it's amazing mm-hmm what you can learn for free on the internet or buying books and kind of yep. digesting it yourself. And so, because I think a lot of people will think, oh, you might've learned this in school or you had family members that taught it. But like most of us in the like financial independence or this work optional community, you're pretty self-taught around here. And we're just all excited. The internet exists. <laughs> yes. It's a great place to be. Um, and then we also wanted to go through, yeah, I think, yeah, so I personally, and again, this isn't advice for anybody, but, um, mm-hmm. I, it's interesting you talked about like the phase of life you're in because early when I didn't know a lot, I did Roth because Dave Ramsey said so. And mm-hmm. so I did Roth and I was like, I just needed to start with something. And then as I started learning about being financially like work optional, and then also knowing I was going into real estate where I was going to be chucking so much savings into that and having the tax advantages, mm-hmm. um, and like third, nine thirty. I flipped to traditional mm. just because I was chucking so much savings mm-hmm. over there. And I'm like, I kind of like having both, like, that's the benefit of like, you don't have to pick one. And like, that's what you're sticking with for the rest yeah. of your life. So I kind of flip flopped around based on what I needed and the Roth made sense for my twenties. And then once I was a little like knew I would have the super saving on the side. It kind of made sense to transition because my income was getting higher and real estate had tax benefits. And so I think I now understand the posts that were like very nuanced about like what you should choose Yeah. But at the time. I'm like, I just need someone to give me an answer. This is ridiculous. So
0: <laughs> take them
1: all with a grain of salt. Someday you'll appreciate these posts with all of their caveats. we um, Some of them even go through like what state and in your income taxes per state. And it's crazy. So, mm. um, and then we also want to talk about, so the other big topic is like paying off real estate in your homes. So I think that's like mm. another big thing that, you know, I'm in the world of real estate where people are like leverage until you die. And then I also have like this debt-free community <laughs> that I came from that is like, we're all like
0: paying Good off debt. the
1: mortgage monthly and no debt. And like, yeah. you know, the BMW status symbol is the paid for house. And I'm like, I don't really want either. Like, I don't want to leverage until I die, but I also don't want to pay off my house right now. And so how do you feel about the yeah. whole house paying off? How do you
0: um, I started you talk out with people about that? I started out being the math person. It's like, well, just do the math, and then I realized most people don't do the math. Um, it's both. It's both a mask and a. Uh, math and a style question, which is why also in investing, um, first of all, I can't even give out investing advice, but whenever people ask for it, I'm like, well, what do you think? Because what you think is actually, that's your style. Right. Um, in general, the mathematician in me would say, if your mortgage is greater than 5%, then you probably be better off paying the mortgage instead of investing because you need investing returns to be pretty darn high, add taxes to beat the mortgage. Um, but however, there are certain classes of people for whom paying off the mortgage makes a lot of sense, even if the mortgage rate is not that high. So first of all, uh, if you're closer to retirement, and your investments are going to uh, probably need to be converted to cash to live at some point. You are going to be risk, more risk-averse. In which case, it makes a lot more sense to pay off the mortgage because also you wouldn't qualify for a new mortgage once you stop showing a lot of income. Um, also, the uh, uncertainty of making that return in the market, especially in very very volatile years like right now. Yeah. How are you gonna be? You know, you how how. Could anyone have foreseen what happened in March? Not really. Could anyone also have foreseen what recovery shape we're going to have? Also, are we in a V shaped recovery or are we in the middle of a W and that second cliff is coming again? No one knows, right? And some people just can't stomach that uncertainty. If you can't stomach it, you're better off paying off the house. You really can't go wrong either way, but. I say that with a butt, you gotta be diversified. If your house is your only source of wealth, I'm a little nervous for you, but the thing is that's actually the reality for many Americans and I'm nervous for most Americans because I'm yes. like, um, in the United States, the house is not a great investment, the house that you live in. Uh, in other countries around the world, this might not apply. I've learned from people in like uh, Egypt and like uh, Latin America, whatever, for example, where it's like a completely different ball game. Again, talking to Americans, The house that you live in is not the greatest investment. Uh, Make sure you got other options in case that house does not work out in the year that you decide to sell. Mm -hmm.
1: And I am a thousand percent with you on your primary residence, not necessarily being an asset. And for most people, like it's a forced savings tool. So that helps some people, like if you weren't going to save it all, like it's better than nothing. Yep. So like, that's kind of the caveat, but then a lot of people get upset because there's a lot of real estate people that are like, we love houses. And like, you should your primary <laughs> residence is such a good asset, but really it's not because unless you're house hacking your home, is not an asset. It's a liability. Yeah. Um, and so there's an amazing article I'll link since we've already talked about the simple path to wealth and JL mm-hmm. Collins in my favorite article, I think of his of all time, which is not it didn't make the simple path to wealth is his article on like your house being a terrible investment. And like Mm. the great American dream is like home ownership. And he like dives in like why it's such a bad investment. And it's like, yeah, it's just one of the best articles I've ever read and how it's written is amazing because he tells it like a story and he's just such a good storyteller. And so I'll link yeah. that in our show notes because if you are angry right now because we said your house isn't an investment and we broke your like happiness <laughs> bubble, go read this article because it goes through every reason why your house isn't necessarily an investment and just makes yeah. you think critically. And you might hate me for a few months, but eventually you kind of get it once you, I don't know, repair your furnace. And Pay attention who your gives you breaks. advice.
0: <laughs> Pay attention to... Pay attention to the motivations of people who give you right. financial advice. Sarah and I are pretty uh, non-biased because we both have our day jobs. We have our kids that take up most of our darn time. Yeah. Like we're not out there to like make an incredible amount of money from people. That's not our main goal. But I'm just trying to break plenty. even. <laughs> I'm trying to give money away. I know. I'm like the weirdo that's trying to make money to make it, yeah. to give it away. Um, that's amazing. But there's yeah. so many people out there that want to make money off of you by the advice that they give you. So Mm -hmm. that is misaligned incentives from the start. Um, And you got to be critical. You have to keep your eye out for the sharks.
1: And I think that's so true in anything you're in. So whether that's, you know, home buying, that's online, who you're learning from, um, like who your gurus are that you're following, whether that's, you know, the financial advisor you're using, just make sure the person has your best interests in mind, because that's really, you know, why a lot of people are on Instagram, just pumping out really good free content is because we're all passionate and here to help people. And we're probably not making any money. We just really are nerds. And so that's kind of, we all unite over that, Um, which is funny because I think we, we talked a little bit, or I wanted to talk about this too, is like, I don't know if you've noticed like the surge of financial independence in the fire account on Instagram. It's
0: ridiculous. And uh. I literally
1: was about to do either a podcast or a coaching session or something. I've been trying to do some interviews lately um, just to kind of grow my knowledge. And they're like, Oh, it's another fire person. I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> but I really that person? But there's so many nowadays. I'm like, I've been here forever. It seems like, um, where you remember the early days when there weren't very many fire accounts and yeah, FI no. accounts. And so you're like, I you know work optional is a passion for me. And it's something I will always work towards, but I've seen so many accounts come and go. And yeah. so I think we talked about some tips of, you know, what should you know about fire and what do you like to be realistic about your goals? Because I see some accounts where they're like, in debt and not really paying it off very well but they're like a, a fire account with i don't know i just worry about some accounts they're kind of getting started and so you know what do you need to know about it because it's really not yeah. for everyone and not everyone's yeah. going to want the kind of lifestyle this
0: because I, I am um, i'm not fully fired but that's because covid wrecked a lot of people's lives including that of my in-laws and we're providing for retirement for them in a right. way i'm done i i finished saving for my retirement and i'm saving now for a different couple whose retirement horizon by the way is today yeah. so when people are like oh sean you're still working you're not a real fire blogger i'm like okay but you know what i'm feeding two people so right none of your business and you're keeping um, a baby alive give me and, and yeah you know, <laughs> i have a I i have plenty of people depending on my income right. um But I also think a lot of people are advertising because advertising rates are cheap right now. And also plenty of people are unemployed. So if you see a lot of people advertising because they want your money. Uh Okay, so I did not start out with fire as the goal. Remember, my husband and I wanted the freedom to never be tied to having two incomes for the rest of our lives. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Not a buzzword. But also, (laughs) the thing is, I've now done my one-year maternity leave. Um, At the time of recording, I'm counting down 76 days until I return to work. I am really excited about it. Look, I'm not... I'm not that kind of mom that wants to stay at home forever. It's just a, not me, but I, I have a lot of props for stay-at-home parents. It is freaking hard. And, Bless you. I don't have uh, the patience. I, like, I can't do it. You're like, oh, Monday, tomorrow. I'm so excited. We, we and it's tried really sad. To, I love my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we we tried a fire experiment this year. We were actually going to travel all around for multiple months we started out with a long-term stay in california then we did uh, one month in hawaii um then we were going to do um i think multiple weeks of going fiji australia new zealand then we were going to do southeast asia and then land back in new york before COVID completely wrecked the whole thing and i ended up cutting the entire trip short and being with my parents it's a dumpster fire 2020 it's a dumpster fire it is and i I keep saying that every day (laughs) And I learned through all of this, that my passion for FIRE now, having experienced all of it is, well, I can keep going because I have um, this knowledge. I want to help take away some of the wealth inequality in this country. The inequality in this country has grown over the years. Raj Chetty, great Harvard uh, economist does this calculation every year. We know it's changed and we know it's not going in a fun direction. The rich are really, really, really rich. Um, But I really believe that Um, the majority of Americans do have the agency, you have the choice and you have the ability to fully fund your retirement, even if you think you're too late, I think you can. Um, so that, that's what I'm here because I've done it and I don't believe I'm not the rosy optimist that believes that everything's going to be perfect forever. No, I think I I acknowledge that life can really suck and life is hard. Um, but that's why I talk about the mindset and life also changes. So I I think if you wanna do fire, understand that it's actually, pretty much a lifelong commitment, not only to the frugal part, but to the lifestyle part. And also holding your emotions back and not panicking during uh, market ups and downs if you're invested in a stock market. Um, but you don't have to be super frugal. You don't have to be cheapskate because I said for us, normal fire is living in New York. That's, that's a pretty expensive lifestyle. And you right. also don't have to be completely retired. It's about buying optionality because when right. you're young, ideally you're healthier. And you have more energy when you're older, it, it's just not the same. It's harder. Yeah. And I'd rather you put in that energy when you're younger.
1: And this so. is such a good gut check time for everyone because so many people have lost their jobs that they didn't ever think they would lose. And so I think it's a really good reminder in this season of life, you know, when mm-hmm. we're recording this at the end of July to talk about, you know, the power of if you don't want to have to depend on a job, it's a really good path. But again, it's not for everyone because you might try it out for a year and decide, you know what, this isn't for me or you know, that's how it's going to go. So tell the people who are listening to this podcast where they can find you for more information or kind of learn more from you if
0: they've really liked what you've had to say today. So where can they find you online? save my sense one word yes. on instagram save my sense.com. those are the two places i live the most i know there's other places but you know what mom's got no time so i right. can't be on yes. everything you I have want. a blog
1: part-time but instagram is where we both live so nothing's <laughs> on there because
0: mom doesn't have time to check everything no.
1: all right well thank you so much for your time today it's always thank fun.
0: you it's been amazing thank you sarah have yes. a wonderful week
1: Oh gosh. Did you all just love this episode? I hope you're enjoying each of these podcasts as much as I am. If you are, please go subscribe to the podcast and spread the word by sharing your thoughts on Instagram. If you are not already aware, I'm pretty much obsessed with Instagram. So seriously, come find me. Instagram is the place where I'm going to announce every new podcast episode. I also share new products as I post them into my store And I also am just going to be oversharing way too much about my personal life as a DIY landlord and a working boss mom. Thanks so much for listening.